Morning. I think we're on. Well, welcome to December and to two. Sorry. Um, am I not switched on? Sounds switched on. Okay. So, hands up. Who's started their Christmas shopping so far? Oh, a few little tentative hands. Yep. Well, several years ago, um, I was taken to visit an, an OM base in Amman, Jordan, the capital city of Jordan. OM is Operation Mobilization. It's an evangelistic um, Christian concern. And uh, there I was, uh, I remember it for many reasons, but there I was told a, a story of uh, some local Muslims at a local mosque who were debating the second coming of Jesus, because Muslims believe as well that Jesus is coming again, although this is where similarities begin and end. There isn't very little else that's, uh, that's the same. But they reasoned, we don't really know much about the second comings, but the Christians do. So let's ask one of them. So they approached a Christian based at OM to speak, and he accepted and, and went there and opened, thanking them for inviting him. But he said that in order to understand Jesus' second coming, you really have to understand his first coming as well, why he came the first time. And so he opened the door to preach the gospel to them, that men needed a saviour who loved them enough to come and die for them. Well, this morning, we're going to do things the other way around, because uh, today, as you know, is the first Sunday in, in Advent. But today's scriptures point us very firmly to Jesus' second coming in the future. The great news is Jesus is coming again. And the question for us this morning is, what difference does that make to us now? Of course, the answer to that is probably going to be quite individual, really. But what difference should it make if those two are different? Well, let's find out together, shall we? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to see you this morning. Lord, we want you to open our ears, Lord, to, to truth. And Lord, if, uh, if anything I say, Lord, isn't, then we pray that you would just let that fall to the ground. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Right, well... We are going to use both readings this morning. So the reading from Isaiah chapter 2 offers us a sneak peek into the future, a climax, a glimpse of the climax of history. It paints a picture of a utopian world where after millennia of violence, peace finally now reigns. And verse 4 says that... So they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Wow. 
let's look at the next slide because I thought you might have like to have a little look at what's, uh, what uh, plowshares and, uh, and pruning hooks look like. So um, it's not brilliantly clear, although I'm partially red-green colourblind, so um, you may see this clearer than I do. But if you look at that, uh, you'll see that the item labelled 4 is a sort of tan colour, and it follows, it's a, a blade that follows the main blade of the plough. So the front is the sort of edge that cuts in front of you, and there's another blade above which actually turns the soil over. That is the plough Chair. And if you look, then uh, you will see uh, the shape of that. You can imagine quite easily that, that, could, that it could be a sword that's uh, repurposed into a plowshare. Let's have a look at the next slide. This is a real genuine uh, Roman pruning hook, believe it or not. It's the real thing. It's an uh, amazing condition considering it, its age, obviously rusty. But again, if, it's not very obvious on the picture. But um, quite often, when I've been clearing out my dad's tool shed recently, and, um, and you, quite often his tools will have a metal um, sort of business end and then a wooden handle and the wooden handle sort of slots in to into the into the kind of neck of the of the tool and this actually has a, a neck it's not quite closed um, you can't quite see it very good but it goes in like that like a spear does so a spear would have a wooden handle that went in there and you'd have a, uh, a, a spear-like bit at the end and you can imagine that 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 could quite easily be knocked sideways by a skilled um, blacksmith and repurposed into into a pruning hook. So, no more standing armies. No more hypersonic weapons. No nukes. No more conscription or national service. No more knocks on the door to turn some poor parents' world upside down. No more orphans or children accidentally stepping on landmines. No ex-soldiers with PTSD or competing in the Invictus games, one maimed on the outside and the other on the inside. No more innocent civilian deaths from so-called collateral damage and defence budgets reassigned worldwide. For the UK, that's 38 billion uh, the last year. And what good could a peace dividend do? 38 billion. My counting stops at about a million. I can't have it really. I find it really difficult to to conceptualise what a billion looks like. But can you imagine 38,000 million pounds? repurposed that would be quite a good use of money well Isaiah shows us a Jerusalem that's now elevated in the eyes of the world everybody looks to it and it's no longer an international pariah it's an international centre of worship of God for the entire globe, why? because that's where Jesus establishes his throne when he returns Finally, peace on earth and goodwill to men are no longer wishful thinking or a Christmas platitude. They're there. 
Who wouldn't want to work, live in a world like that? I would. Well, let's move on to our gospel reading, which gives us Jesus' perspective. It's what Jesus has to say has a very different feel because it deals with the state of the world immediately before his return. And what he shows us is a very dark place. As Jesus draws a comparison with Noah's day, if you read verses 37 to 39, he talks about the comparison with Noah's day. And the comparison indicates that judgment has been overdue. And let's be honest, we're not really short of dark places right now ourselves. 2019 globally hasn't been a great year. We've had major riots in Chile, in Hong Kong, in Lebanon, in Iran, in Baghdad, in Paris with the yellow vests where they've been put down with water cannon and plastic bullets. In Spain there's been a struggle for Catalan independence and their politicians got jailed for their trouble. A coup in Bolivia very recently, an armed skirmish in Kashmir, perma wars in the Middle East which are ongoing, an ongoing Cold War Mark II between Russia and the West, the so-called trade war between China and the US. Back home we've got the ongoing chaos and national disunity of Brexit and on Friday of course we had yet another terrorist incident. It's not pretty is it? Looking at these pictures, these two pictures, one of utopia and one of a dark place, does anybody see a problem? Because to get from Matthew, the dark place, to Isaiah is an enormous step. And pretty obviously that change of that magnitude isn't going to come easy. It's going to come through crisis. So earlier in the same chapter, chapter 24 of Matthew, Jesus talks of wars and rumours of wars that herald the final countdown to his coming, the finale. But they themselves are not the finale. And today the international situation is the most precarious probably since the Cuban Missile Crisis. But personally I still don't think this qualifies not quite yet, that's my personal view but that's a personal view that's up to you to make your own judgment on that and ultimately I think things will get worse before they get much better but it leads us to the the undodgeable question which is when will Jesus return because every generation back to the apostles have thought that he was coming and up to now they've all been wrong but there will be a generation who will be right interesting isn't it in verse 26 Jesus says only the father knows the date and we we can't but there will be clues that point in that in general direction as you know, the second coming can be really controversial amongst Christians. Not my purpose to go into anything that has remotely to do with timelines today. And there's not a remote chance of covering anything in 20 minutes or even 200 minutes. But I know some folk will probably be frustrated by my kind of glancing on it and failing to tackle it. So for two minutes, I want to divert 
And I want to offer you a few DIY tools for us to read and study the scriptures for ourselves. So these are my helpful hints. And if you're thinking, what is he going on about? Please just feel free to park it for a little while. So two minutes. So first of all, if you're looking at last time's scriptures, prophetic scriptures, always interpret from the clear to the unclear. Start with Jesus. That means Matthew and Luke. So pleased to hear Kirsty say read Luke this morning because Luke has a different perspective. He says a lot about Christmas, but he has his own section on the end times as well. And it's not quite the same as, as Matthew, so it's worth reading. Start there, don't start with Revelation, and then you can recruit, after you've got that picture, you can recruit the other more obscure scriptures. Secondly, please remember that timelines in scripture are often really quite blurred. So for example, in the Old Testament there are passages where Jesus' first coming and his second coming are in consecutive verses. Why is that? Well, God didn't show them. They showed them a picture of the future, but it's like having one peak in front of another peak. And you think that you've seen the whole picture, but actually you've just seen these peaks and you can't quite distinguish that they're different. Thirdly, history often repeats itself, and biblically that is also true. So there's a classic scripture that we read virtually every carol service. So Rachel weeping for her children because they are no more. A voice was heard in Rama, Rachel weeping for her children. Well, that was fulfilled in the Bethlehem slaughter. So that's what Matthew says in the early chapters there, chapter two, I think. But it was also true in the Old Testament and primarily it referred to a situation in the Old Testament when Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians came along and took the people of Israel, in this case particularly the people of the southern kingdom of Judea, and they sent them off into exile and there was a jump off point in Ramah. That was where they started Rachel's tomb was in that region and metaphorically Jeremiah says Rachel was weeping for her children as they they went off. So number four, remember to examine the scriptures as a whole. Look at everything, major on the gospels because that's the clearest But please look at everything. That applies to any topic we ever look at in the Bible. Never take a single verse and make a doctrine out of it. Always look at everything together. And lastly, if you're absolutely insistent on looking at timings and things like that, uh, as people do, and sequencing events, then your fixed point is the last trumpet because that's when Jesus returns and you'll find the last trumpet appearing in numerous scriptures and that's that's something that you can actually kind of reference. So, okay, that's, that's done. So please have a think about that. If that rings your bell, great. If it doesn't, don't worry. Because we're now coming to 
really our punchline today. Because the second coming will divide humanity. It's great news for some. We look forward to it, but it's seriously bad news for others. Wherever you're at with God that day is the place you stay. It will be too late to change. And absolutely nobody gets official notice. People may look exactly the same, but have entirely different destinies. Two women grinding at a mill in Galilean communities Quite often there were a little group of houses and they were kind of situated around a common courtyard and there was a mill in the middle which women used to share because actually getting hold of millstones is not that easy. They're a very specialist item. So they used to share the mills. Two women grinding at a mill. They look the same, but they're not the same. One is taken and the other is left. Uh, When Thames Water came round Southcote doing upgrades earlier this year, they gave us advance warning of uh, of the the water going off. Uh, Judith and I had several days of advance notice. Anybody else in Southcote remember that? Steve's nodding. So we filled the kettle. We had a few bottles of spare water. And we made sure we'd been to the loo that morning. I know, too much information. But we prepared. But when Jesus comes, it will be a total surprise to most. Just like the flood of Noah's day. Jesus warns us that the majority will be going about ordinary life in the same old way and won't be ready. Are you ready? How do you propose to get ready? Jesus tells a parable in the next chapter, in chapter 25, about keeping plenty of oil in your lamp. Oil in scripture is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit, isn't it? We don't do oil lamps these days, at least most of us don't. We do batteries. So are your batteries charged is like many of us these days, I've got this small laptop and I take it with me uh, occasionally if I'm going away. Um, and I needed it yesterday up in, uh, up in London. I haven't used it for several weeks. Some weeks before, when I last used it, probably at least a couple of months, I guess, I'd left it fully charged, closed it down, and I thought about it Friday night and thought, wonder if that's all right. So got it out. And guess what? Battery is on 0%. I just neglected it. That was all. I hadn't done anything evil to it. I just neglected it. So my question to us this morning is, how is our relationship with Jesus? Is it neglected or in poor condition? Or after the ladies' morning yesterday, are you supercharged? Yeah, those of you who have two X chromosomes. Have you become unplugged for a while? 
and in need of reconnecting. Maybe you realise you've never really quite had the necessary battery. So my advice this morning and Jesus' advice in scriptures is sort it out. It can be sorted out. Is the brutal truth for many of us, the most of humanity, death will arrive before Jesus does. Now please understand that I'm being cruel to be kind here. I'm not meaning to be miserable. There's so much hope in, this mess, in the second coming of Jesus. So much hope to be had in Christ in his first coming. But if you met Jesus tomorrow and everyone will eventually, what's he going to say to you? Are you ready for that meeting? It is possible to be ready without being cocksure. And in closing, in that challenge, I want to read a poem that I must have come across and filed 20 odd years ago and I chanced upon it last week and I was just doing a bit of filing as we prepare for Christmas and we mull over the extraordinary arrival of the Son of God to become one of us let's get ourselves ready for for both comings both advents so here it is I don't know who wrote it by the way no idea where it comes from Still at last, dear Lord, weary from all the busyness of a thousand things that clamour for attention, but longing to feed your touch afresh. This Christmas time, kindle in me a love for you, which finds time for you, which responds to you, which yearns for your return Cause my heart to leap for joy as I anticipate that great fact of the future, your re-entry to earth. Pour into me the certainty that believes that all life is to be lived under the shadow of that miraculous return. The courage to live life your way and the resilience to hold on to that hope when times are hard or my body is tired bring me to Christmas day not irritated by the commercialization but rather rejoicing in the message of the angels to me today is born my saviour hallelujah as we head back home a bit later Let's make a conscious effort to make ourselves ready for both advents. Amen.